It's not that deep. Episode nine. Here we are. Are we in? This is it. This is it. We're in. Finally. After such a long wait. Another one. Yeah, we've been uh, been busy though. We have been, you know. Yeah. On the on the down low. I mean. What? It's been an experience. Yeah. Yeah. A lot's happened. A lot has happened. But and still, a lot more to come. Nothing to release. <laughs> All quiet. <laughs> Till now. Till now. Oh yeah, this is a this is a, a little update. Mm-hmm. So today we are going to be looking into the 1999 classic Stanley Kubrick film that is based on a book that is based on a dream. Eyes wide shut. Martin has just finished his first ever viewing of the film Eyes Wide Shut, and I've seen it many times. I have no idea what Martin thought of it. He's been tight-lipped. So let's get your... For those of you who don't know, it's, uh, as I said, a Stanley Kubrick film featuring Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Um, it That's all you need to know, really. There's not much more you can really set up for this film. Uh, if you've not seen it, go and see it. Don't uh, watch this. Go and watch it first before you listen to this because Martin's about to... Splurge his brains on the topic. So, mine, what did you think? That movie was fucking wild. <laughs> it was, from the beginning to the end, it was all an emotional roller coaster. Okay. Jesus Christ. So, it made a, a lasting effect on you then, Mark? It, uh, I'll never forget it. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Never, ever will I forget it. I'm glad that it... Uh, you mentioned that film and I will remember exactly what happened. And it was three hours long. You remembered all of it. All of it. I couldn't... Oh. So let's go... Um, There's so much to talk about. Yeah, let's elaborate on, on those feelings. So if you were to explain what this film's about, Martin, try and do that. Uh, all right. Uh it's about a doctor who has very wealthy friends and I don't know if you call them friends but I mean, carry on patients I mean that line bef- is blurred before 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 anything happens yeah they're his friends okay yeah, yeah. Um, so like him and his wife get invited to a party Everyone's there, and it's basically him just having a good time with his wife, and all of a sudden, this it gets to a point of like um, it sort of leans in to thinking that they're both gonna cheat on each other, but. At the same time, they're both really loyal. Um, They're both really, like, into their partner. But this couple has a very... um, How would I put it? Very troubled relationship between the two. Especially... There's a scene that if you watch it, you will see. 
where she just goes off on one about her being... Um, them on a family holiday and she sees a man in a naval uniform that takes her... Uh, her eye. Her eye, her attention. Oh my goodness. But she says it in such detail that just makes you think, as a man, how would you feel? So degrading. So the main character, Tom Cruise, goes on a sort of adventure into, uh, I guess his feelings, because she was sort of teasing him to see if he would get jealous. So they go, he goes on this little adventure. First he gets a call about a woman that her dad, her father has died. So he goes there and he opens up to her about how sad it is, just like a, a normal man. As a doctor should. As a doctor should, yeah. Um, but then, he, after that progresses, he's only constantly thinking about the image his wife has put in his head of her and that naval officer. And you can just see him turning into like a different man. Every time he's in a car, it's blank face and staring at nothing but thinking about his wife and that naval officer. It's so like degrading to a man. To f oh, it's, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. Then he... At the party at the beginning. Ah, yeah. He speaks to an old friend of his. From medical school. From medical school. Who dropped out. And his name was Nick Nightingale. He then meets him later on in the film at the place he said he was playing, which was called... The Sonata Lounge. No, the Sonata Cafe. I feel like cafes open in the day and that was a jazz bar. Maybe. Anyway, doesn't matter about the name. They meet him there and he's sort of... This Nick Nightingale tells him where he's playing at two o'clock in the morning. So this is after leaving the patient's house that he was at and uh, yeah. of the dad who's died. Uh, the patient's dad has died and that's why Bill Halford, Tom Cruise's character, is there. And she breaks down and uh, confesses she loves Tom Cruise. Yes, she does. Which was, it's, it's strange. Mm. The, the way she was like, sort of like crying, but also... Kind of excited by yeah. the situation. All at the same time. A lot of emotion at play. But he goes to the bar because that... The conversation he's had with his wife and that experience at the patient's house is slightly overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So he goes for a, a night stroll. <laughs> and that leads you to the Sonata Lounge. Which was so... It's good. Because you get to find out about this... I wouldn't say it's a party. Well, he just says, 
do you do many gigs like this? And Nick Nightingale says, I've got another one tonight. It's different every time. Oh, he says, I've got another one tonight. And Tom Cruise's character says, where? And he says, I don't know the address yet. It's different every time I play there for these people. And he receives a phone call, receiving the address, and he writes down a word on a napkin. What is that word? Fidelio. Fidelio. And Tom Cruise, as you probably can imagine, is perplexed at this action. So he inquires why Joe Vozza is about to enter the room. Here he is, the man himself. Joe Vozza. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's yeah. all happening. Well, the chairs are all fucking... Yeah, what they're listening to. Yeah. The chairs are all stacked and shit upstairs, aren't they? Well, they I've just been up there. Seven. Just do it now. Nine minutes in. How are you finding it, viewers? <laughs> Nine minutes you've already given to these guys. They have. You cannot Impressive. get that back. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to come? Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Christ. set that back up. <laughs> this will be a nice little interlude. <laughs> the 24-7... There could be 50 more minutes of this. Just think about what you're doing. <laughs> Shut up. Just joking. <laughs> and get the fuck out. Value your time. <laughs> you piece of shit. That's a public service announcement. <laughs> yeah, public service announcement. Fuck shit up. Put your head about that. Louis. What? Jesus Christ. podcast that Vance is just... Kibosh. Sorry guys, how are you guys? You know, good, you? How are you enough? I'm good. Should we leave you to it? It's going to stay. Then you'll know, and then you'll start again. We're start gone. Again. No. <laughs> it's his choice. We've got to edit it, so you might as well pause it and have a quick. Yeah, but it's about the energy, isn't it? We've lost the energy now. Yeah, true, sorry. You fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Fucked your energy. <laughs> That was Lewis and, and Vaz. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember where we were. We were talking about Nick Nightingale in the Sonata Lounge writing the word Fidelio on, on a, a napkin. On a napkin. That's right, yeah. So he then takes a very big interest into this place, this sort of, like, society that they've... <sighs> well, did you say it as it is? Yeah. You, you, you go on the journey with Bill Halford, and as he... Nick tells him the address and the password, and he, he goes to the address. He first needs to get an outfit. He does need an outfit. He says, you won't be able to get in if you don't have a cloak and a mask and a tuxedo. So he, um, he manages to find a costume store that possibly might be open at the hour, but it's not. And he speaks to the owner and offers him... Mr. Millage. Uh, yeah, Mr. Millage, a large amount of money to open the store late so he can get the gown and everything. And Th a bit this... of a weird side journey, but you find uh, his daughter in some sort of part. There's fast food, there's there's what looks like alcohol. They've been having a bit of a party in the shop. 
two Japanese businessmen and Mr. Millich's daughter, who's obviously underage. It's just chaos. Mr. Millich is not happy with the situation. He's no, he's gonna call the police. Yeah. But he already seems like a shady character. He does seem like a shady character, and the daughter whispers something in Bill's ear about getting the cloak lined with a fabric, which implies that she knows a thing or two about cloaks. Yeah, I, I guess Whatever so. Whatever that means. Whatever that I guess means. so. Well, you find out a little bit later. But yeah, he gets the cloak and he makes his way to the address and gives the password at the door. It's a nice stately home, very large, filmed in England. Mm-hmm. Although it's an American taxi that drops him off. It's, it's, yeah. it's jarring to watch if yeah. you know that. <laughs> um, they take him up to the house and he puts his mask on. And what seems to be going down is a elite, upper-class sex party with ritualistic religious elements. It's so weird. Gored by Nick Nightingale on the organ. True that, but it just... You don't see it turning into this. You're like, oh, it's just going to be some rich-ass party. There's going to be people there that will be fucked anyway. But, like, everyone's just off their heads doing coke and fucking... Ah, but it's not about that, is it's it? It's not just about that. It's like a whole different society from it's the normal up- people. This is what the upper class do. That's it. The big upper class. So... Uh, yeah, there's it, weird chanting. There's... Incense being fucking swung around from a big, um, oh, there's a name for them, like the religious incense burners that they use in Well, that massive pole. Ball thing, yeah, yeah. the smoke coming out of it. I can't remember what they're called, but big tapping of cane, naked women, masks, like crazy Phantom of the Opera style, like I think they're called Venetian masks terrifying some of them oh yeah like that shot when he looks up when he first walks in well it's not when he first walks in he's been in there for about five minutes and he looks up and it's a slow pan shot up to the balcony of those two people and as it as the zoom's about three quarters of the way done they turn their heads and look into the zoom and it's one of the worst things I've ever seen (laughs) it's awful Mm. it makes me feel bad I've seen it so many times when they fucking At the end of that little scene when they fucking put him in that circle and everyone's around him, it's, oh, that is the worst thing. Well, that I could have said. I want to go through the whole plot and not stick on any one two moment too much and we'll we'll think, you know, wrap it up towards the end Mm -hmm. about our thoughts about the whole thing, but it is exciting because you're there with. Bill Halford going on the journey. You don't know if they know who he is, that like throughout the whole process mm-hmm. of him being in the house, there's a lot going on that you don't see in regards to whether they know he's there or if he's in trouble or a lot of unknown stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's why that seems like crazy exciting to me. Cause like you're being shown a load of stuff and you don't know what's gonna happen because you're being shown it. Um but then you find out what happens, and there's seems to be a debt. You know, he's seen a load of stuff that he shouldn't see, and they basically circle him and make him remove his clothes. 
want to. Well, it, that, that yeah. is the process that begins to happen mm-hmm. until a the, there is a woman that throughout his process in the house has been warning him of, to leave, to leave, saying that he's in great danger. Around this house, there's like people having rampant sex, but it's all um, <laughs> how'd you put it? Stylized. That's how I call it. It's all set up. It is all set up, but like he. They're just there watching. There's people watching, there's people performing, but that is, it speaks to the ritualistic element of it. But it's not all set up either. Well, if you know, then if you think about who those people are, the people that are doing the the act might have higher power status than the people that are watching. And getting to do the act in front of everyone like that might be something you earn over time. I mean, there's... There's, there's, a some, whole, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of conversation there's, to get into about mm-hmm. this specific part of the film. but So he just as he's about to remove his clothes, the woman that has been helping him this whole time intervenes and she says that she is ready to redeem him, whatever you interpret that to mean. It sounds very specific. When she says that, there's uproar in the crowd. Yeah. Like they, that word means something that we and Bill don't know. What does it mean? You must have looked it up. No, well, I, that is something that I've noticed this time. Obviously, I've heard that line a load every time I've seen it, but this time, the reaction of the crowd, I was like, that sounds like uh, jargon. That sounds like, you know, a phrase that everyone in the room is aware of. It has implication, so it must mean something. But again, I don't want to get bogged down in the crazy what could be going on in that house it's there's so much shit she says she will redeem him Mm -hmm. and she then gets taken away and he gets to leave under the condition that he tells no one and there will be dire consequences for him and his family if any of this information ever gets out and this experience makes it to the general public Mm -hmm. so then the the next bit the last half that's like the first half of the film the next half of the film is kind of the effects of this night, this craziness. In, in that mix, in between him going to the house and having the conversation with his wife where she tells him that she wanted to have sex with that naval officer, which he keeps having frequent flashbacks to. He also goes to a prostitute's house and nearly has sex with her, but then doesn't. Is also worth mentioning. So the morning after... <sighs> oh, this woman... All right, so the morning after... He talks to his wife, and obviously he he gets home very late, and she is having a dream, but it's uh, when you see it, it looks like she's having a a good dream. It's kind of, and she started laughing. Yeah, Nicole Kidman had a very good hysterical laugh in this film, what that borders on like madness. Yeah. She's the, it's, it's mad, it's, it's crazy. But, she, um, she's gone awful crazy. She's doing that in her sleep, and she's having a dream where she's basically having sex with that naval officer and a load of other men in a forest while people watch her in masks. And he sees, sees her, and she wants to laugh. Okay. And she tell yeah, laugh at him, and she tells him all of this shit, like, as, like... They're hugging uh, yeah, as they're hugging and, and you're... he's losing his mind. He, he's just, in his head, it's like, 
I need to get out there and cheat on this woman. That's, that's his whole view right there and then. And I was like, why is she doing this? What is going through her mind that, that tells her this is good for our marriage, mm. our relationship? Well, it stems, well, again, that's just go, let's just go through the plot just so yeah. anyone that's like not seen it and decided to use this as their basis for the film understands what's going on. Um, he spends the next day trying to work out the consequences of his night, basically. Mm-hmm. He goes to Nick's hotel and finds out that Nick was removed pretty much at the same time that he arrived home um, from his hotel, checked out, bill paid for, and he looked scared and had a bruise on his face. He finds out that the prostitute he went to got confirmed for HIV. He goes back to Mr. Millich to return the cloak, finds the mask missing, which must have got lost in the uh, in the scuffle out of the house. Right. And we also see the two Japanese businessmen back in Mr. Millich's shop with his daughter, mm-hmm. who seem to be on amicable terms now. Like yeah. To some so sort of I thought they were going to call the police, he says. You know, come up with some sort of arrangement, Martin. Whatever you it's can imagine. It's so thick. Whatever you can imagine that to be. Which he seems to be offering to Mr. Halford as well. Yeah, and it's... Oh. So then he... Curiosity gets the better of him, and he goes back to the house. Goes back to his wife. And tells it. Oh, no, no, he goes back to the house, the the mansion. Yes, he does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And a man in a car gives him a letter that says, "This is your last warning. Yeah, leave it alone." Mm-hmm. He then goes up to his. He's walking down the street, and he's getting followed. And he's being followed. He goes to a newspaper stand to avert being followed. Mm-hmm. Grab buys a newspaper and ducks into a cafe, and in the newspaper he reads the ex model that an ex model yeah has died of a heroin overdose yeah probably should have mentioned at the party at the very beginning of this film the person who was hosting the party Mr Ziegler very wealthy man was having sex with a prostitute who has was overdosing on a speedball which is cocaine and heroin put together and yeah. Bill helped him out in that situation and brought her back to consciousness. And saved her life. Yeah, and saved her life. Her name was, at the time, Mandy, but her actual name was Amanda Curran. And Bill correlates these two people and sees that she has died of an overdose. He goes to the morgue to confirm this. To see if it's her. Sees the body, and it is at that point that he receives a call from Mr. Ziegler goes to the Ziegler house and has a frank conversation with Mr. Ziegler. Mr. Ziegler, which is not his friend no. at this point. Yeah, this is where you start, you start to see the uh, juxtaposition of the party that was happening at the beginning of the mm-hmm. film and the party that happened in the middle of the film yeah. and uh, the differences between them. So Mr. Ziegler is a very wealthy man and he's a very high profile man and he was at the house whilst Bill was there 
I suspect he was the man on the balcony that has that horrible fucking shot when he's zooming in yeah, and he nods. And then, That's the implication. But I, Anything you notice about that scene? Other than him looking? I mean, in the when he's talking to Ziggler at the end of the film. Ah, well, um... If it was Mr. Ziggler, why wouldn't he have helped him? Oh, you just said it yourself. There's a line that tells you exactly why Mr. Ziggler wouldn't have done that. And it's when Bill is talking about Nick Nightingale. And Mr. Ziggler, Mr. Ziggler says, that guy made me look like an asshole in front of those people. Now that shows you his priorities. Yeah, he's only out... Status. From, yeah. What people think of him. And I, I proper thought that Bill would have... Uh, Wanted to join. That's it. I had a, I had a feeling when they went there for the second time, he wanted to join. Well, the implicate, you know, there is a point in the in the mansion party when a woman says, "Do you want to go somewhere <clears throat> a little more, more pri private?" Yeah, he doesn't decline. No, he doesn't. And the big joke of this film, at the time when it was released, people didn't get this film. Surprisingly, when it came out. And they basically said it's a film about Tom Cruise trying and failing to have sex. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and then obviously, if you carry on... After that conversation with Mr. Ziegler, who confirms most of Bill's suspicions one way or another, whether he directly admits it or implies certain things about what Bill suspects happens subsequently after that night... He goes back to his house to find the mask that he could not return to Mr. Millich on his pillow next mm. to his wife. Who's sleeping. Who's sleeping, meaning those people have been in his house. And then the film ends with an odd scene in a shopping centre where they take... But before that, oh. he does start crying hysterically oh, and he tells says, his wife I'll tell you everything I'll tell you everything so they're on the same page which leads to as I said this odd little scene in yeah. the shopping centre where they go Christmas shopping yep it, so the whole film is a Christmas film Martin I don't know if you realise that it's, it's it is. pushed throughout the film it is a Christmas film there's lights all over the place yeah they do they do say all the time oh, are you ready for Christmas which is interest. another interesting theme so they basically talk about what are we going to do moving forward with our lives. And they make some vague conclusions about the nature of reality and dreams. And then say there's one thing that we have forgotten Definitely. to do. Yeah. And that is? Fuck. And that is the last word of the film. With, how are you ending a film in like... A three-hour film. Boom. Jesus Christ. I enjoyed myself watching that film so, a bit too much. My thoughts on Eyes Wide Shut, if I was going to go into it a little bit, is that it's a film on the nature of human emotions and relationships and how men and women interact and how, how humans interact, like the social class system and um, even the, like, the nature of reality. 
it's a very, really interesting film. Like that bit at the beginning, the party at the beginning is so important because all these people are there and they're all putting on masks of who they are. Like that Hungarian man that's talking to Alice. Um, he's got this, she says at one point, he references this um, poet called Ovid and she says, didn't he end up old and alone? And he says, uh, ah, but he had a lot of fun. First. First. And that just kind of shows his, uh, his way, his tact, the way he is. It shows that if, you know, he's up for a lot of fun and he probably will end up sad and alone, like he's old at this point, but he's up for the fun like that. So he's showing his intentions in this coy, weird little dance that they're doing. Everyone in the room is like wearing masks. Those girls that are talking to Tom, uh, Tom Cruise's character. At the beginning. Yeah. yeah, there's a bit, just before he gets taken up to deal with Mandy, who's having an OD, they're like nearly ripping his arms off. They're all yeah. over him. Yeah, they're all like over him. Demons. You can see, you can see like... The implication. Mm-hmm. That well, it could have been, it could have gone way worse. Well, she says, we're going to the end, where the rainbow ends, mm-hmm. which is again a very... But isn't that, it, it's weird how they say, oh, we're going to where their rainbow ends. And that shop. And that shop's name is I nearly said rainbow. when you were watching it, and I thought, no, I'll leave it and just see if he notices that. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's a lot of stuff like that. But that party, which is meant to be like a social gathering, a public gathering, all these famous well-known people in a room, but they're wearing their hidden intentions mm-hmm. and desires on their sleeves. So then you've got this other party that is all top secret and hush, 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 but it's all these people doing exactly what they really want to do on the inside. Yeah. So it's, it's all very backwards. It's, this, it's very... This is how... Oh, I had a thought. Could that guy that looked at the camera mm. been that Hungarian guy? Potentially, yeah, I have seen that. There's, oh my God, Martin, the amount of discussion that has been done on this film online in terms of theories and conspiracy theories and this means this and this means that. There's a whole load of people that, there's the legendary, so we've not even gone into the history of this film yet and why it exists and everything. So this was Stanley Kubrick's last ever film. Before he died. He was in... I mean, I can definitely say his 70s, potentially even his 80s at this point. Really? Yeah. Old man. Like, How did he die? So he's making this film, and he gets Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman to play the main roles. They are married as this film was filmed. Mm-hmm. They are a real couple. All right. So that it adds a whole other dimension to the film as well. That yeah, that real cool. <laughs> so okay, right. Tom Cruise is famously a Scientologist, if you know what that is. Yeah, a cult that probably the most well-known cult in the world came out of Los Angeles, uh, started by a man called L. Ron Hubbard in the 1950s, um, and the basic idea is that you can get rid of all the bad stuff inside your body and free yourself up to be able to do the things that you are supposed to be doing in life. That's Mm -hmm. their general motto. And Tom Cruise has always come across as a very positive person. I don't know if you've seen that video of him um, 
filming Mission Impossible 6, where he jumps between... He does all his own stunts yeah. in Mission Impossible things, and he jumps from one building to another. He scuffles the, uh, like the um, landing on the second building and breaks his ankle. He just carries on. He carries on. So, say what you want about Scientology, but Tom Cruise obviously has some crazy uh, motivation <laughs> running yeah. through his veins. Yeah. But then John Travolta's also a, a Scientologist, and he doesn't look so... Um, <laughs> he doesn't do all his stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's not on the same level as Tom mm -hmm. Cruise, so maybe Tom's just special. But <laughs> So the fact that Tom Cruise is actually in a cult itself that had all these rumours about it... That and then he's in a film that's about a cult. With his wife, it, it, oh, it's crazy, it's a crazy setup. So, And it's Stanley Kubrick's last ever film, so a lot of big things set up for this film. Mm -hmm. It's the longest... I think this might be outdated at this point, but I think I'm right in saying that it has the longest shooting period for any film ever. Was it two hours of revamp? I mean, it shot the amount of time it took for them to shoot the film. Really? Yeah. You still haven't explained how he died. Wait, this is... You have to know the history of this film to know how Stanley Kubrick died, I promise you. Okay. I promise you. So, it took right. the longest to film. It was like 500 days. 500 days? Yeah, like nearly two years to film. And they filmed it in London, which is not where Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman live. So, Tom Cruise at the time this film was filmed in 1999 was probably the biggest movie star on the planet. Mission Impossible, um, I think he'd just done that Minority Report film with Steven Spielberg. Um, I feel like there's ones I'm missing, but it was like peak Tom Cruise moment. To was, take, go on. Was Mission Impossible before the 90s? It couldn't have been. Mission Impossible 1 was in 1998 and Mission Impossible 2 was in 2001, I think. Might be 2002. They didn't make the third one until like 2008. Yeah, it took a while. Yeah. So why that is important is because to take the biggest movie star in the world away and make him not available to be in any other films for 500 days at the peak it's of his crazy. career is fucking crazy so a lot there's a lot Stanley Kubrick going into this film so they make the film there's a whole load of people that reckon that there are parts of this film that are missing because right. this is the only film in Stanley Kubrick's filmography that he didn't have the final edit on well Hang on, that might be wrong. The first like few films Kubrick made, he like wasn't happy with, all the way up to Spartacus, and then everything from Spartacus from 2001, or maybe Lolita, to Full Metal Jacket, which was the film before this one was edited, he like did everything. Full creative control. Mm -hmm. This one, he dies before it's done. They film it, and he's editing it, and he dies of a heart attack. Oh, shit. So his idea couldn't be finished. So a film that is that about... That might have not been the last line of the, the film. People think, Martin, that... Oh. I mean, there's people that say that they have seen the lost 15 minutes of Eyes Wide Shut and that it has, you know, their daughter is in that toy store, that there are men 
that take their daughter, basically, and abduct her whilst they're having that conversation about fucking. But I don't believe these uh, crazy lost 15 minutes of eyes wide shut. Why is that? Few reasons. That'd be like, that's like a cool, like, conspiracy thing, like, mm-hmm. to think, like, oh, there's this scene, and because of the debt, because he's seen all these things, they take the child, and that's the last thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can, I can see that angle. But this film isn't about the kind of spooky conspiracy side of it. No, it's more about his... Emotion, yeah, and his head mental, yeah, well-being, yeah, definitely, and like the emotion of it all. So, to end the film, it end that the way it ends with the fuck and that they talk about. There's a line: what we've learned is that reality or truth is never really the whole truth, and a dream is never really just a dream. So we're living somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then she says, there's one thing we forgot to do, and that's fuck. That's a crazy way to end that film. It's the last thing you hear, and it sets the tone for what the whole film was about. And Mm -hmm. it's like, what was real and what was not. So to end it on another note, which would be this like child abduction thing, would change the whole tone of the film, and it would make it like this child abduction thing. Yeah, it'll it'll make it more like... Well, there's got to be a second one. Yeah, yeah, it would set all sorts. And it's not, it's just not his style. People think that this film, they've, they've taken the fact that he died before it was, came out. They've taken the fact that it's about spooky ritual stuff and the fact that there's a lot of nudity in it and stuff and put all of those things together and been like, the movie studio killed Stanley Kubrick for saying too much in Eyes Wide Shut. That's like the conspiracy. That's happening right now. Well, that's what people think. But I, I do not believe that. I do. Yeah, but like if it, if it was that oh, he knew too much and they killed him, they wouldn't have shown the film. Well, that's where this whole lost 15 minutes business comes in. That this is the cut that Warner Brothers allowed to be put out. It could, have, it could have been more than 15 minutes. It could. I mean, there could be reams of lost footage of Eyes Wide. There could be a whole second Eyes Wide shot that we don't know about in the hypothetical Kubrick vault. We don't know because that hasn't been released. And it is sad. I don't think you can tell. I, I think Eyes Wide Shut is a beautiful film. It's one of my favourite films. It's a very good film. I, I, like I said, it's wild. That's why I like I, it. The emotion that... It's like a fucking roller coaster. Woo! Going up and down. Yeah, I can feel Kubrick's touch all over it. Where it's not like artificial intelligence, for example, where you can actually feel the bits that like Kubrick wrote and the bits that Spielberg wrote. We'll see that at some point. Um, With this, it just it feels like Kubrick through and through. Um, I can't wait. I actually saw this film at a cinema in Leicester with a the producer who made it with Stanley Kubrick, Jan Harlan. Really? Old, old guy, and he did a Q&A well, afterwards. And I asked him about whether the use of colour in the film was significant. Because if you notice, at like any point when Tom Cruise's character's in a room, like a bedroom or something like that, if you look out the window, it'll be like blue. 
just unspecific. Like sometimes there's like building shots and stuff, but there's always like this weird blue hue on everything. Mm-hmm. Color just seems to be like really important in that film. You know what I mean? So I asked him about that, and he said, "Yeah, it's all like intentional, and it's whole." You can see on the screen right now. We've paused it just as the credits have come up, and it says inspired by. Tramu, I'm going to mess this pronunciation up, but inspired by Tramu Vell by Arthur Schnitzler. And that is this short book, which is based on a dream. It's not really like what Eyes Wide Shut is. It's mostly based so on you a dream. So if it's based on a dream, then that... That could have been him. Like, after, after she says fuck, that 15 minutes could have been him waking up. Yeah, or maybe, I don't know, you can start to get into the realm of thinking things like, well, maybe actually in reality, like, they live, maybe Dr. Bill is, like, is living in this dream world, and in real life, his wife left him for a naval officer. Yeah. Or something like that. And he's made this whole crazy thing up because he's bored. And wants to fuck and is frustrated and like about all sorts of different areas of his life. <laughs> like, like you said about the running joke. Oh, it's just him trying to fuck but failing. He does constantly seem that way if you watch the film. Like, or I think it's too limited to just look at it as a sex thing. I think you could also be like he's bored, like just in general, and he wants like excitement, and it seems like everyone's having fun but him mm-hmm. sort of thing yeah. everyone's like wrapped up in their own craziness so he goes looking for some of his own craziness and gets burned every time but he could have done it but he didn't could have done what had sex but he didn't with Domino yeah he could have had sex with Domino but he's very lucky that he didn't because again it, he would have been burnt if he did that he's lucky at every time that he didn't have sex, really. But if if he did, then he wouldn't go. He wouldn't have gone to the bar. Yeah, he wouldn't mm-hmm. have gone to the bar, but he would have woke up at some point and found out he had HIV. So it still would have been bad. True that. There's no point in that film when I don't think it would have gone well for him if he <laughs> followed followed the impulse that he was running on. <laughs> Oh, I think that that last bit where he's with um, Mr. Millage mm. and he's like, oh, we can come to an arrangement. And she's just there like... Smiling. Yeah, and I'm like, that is so weird. It, You know, this, as I say, this is a film that was made by a man in his 80s, late 70s, and he'd seen been through the movie industry mm-hmm. we it's said this shit. when we watched The Shining that people weren't happy about The Shining at the time because it wasn't exactly how the book was but what Stanley Kubrick's Shining is about is about the frustrations of a man in the movie industry and if The Shining is Stanley Kubrick putting his own thoughts you know, into a character, Jack Torrance and showing his frustration at America and just life what does that say about what Stanley Kubrick knows about the nature of human relationships, politics, and um, money on a high class level mm-hmm. over his career? You know, he must have seen some, something must have inspired him to cook this story up. 
So that, he might he might have been in that in that society. There's it's an endless hole for Stanley Kubrick of you know there's the whole did he fake the moon landing thing and well if he's if he's if he's faking the moon landing for NASA he's probably read into some sort of government secret mm-hmm. society and if you want to go down the Stanley Kubrick conspiracy narrative you can write up a crazy bloody biography for him you can be like you can make it into a movie well you <laughs> i guess the narrative would be that in Doctor Strange love the planes he wanted to use real U.S. Army planes in Doctor Strange Love, and the U.S. Army said no. So, being the fanatic that he was, he went and bought a load of flight magazines and put all the pictures together and worked out a map of what one had looked like. And then he built one, and it looked so good that the U.S. government were impressed with him. So, they hired him to do the moon landing. That's what people say who believe that Kubrick Frink, the moon landing, that's how he got the job. Um, so, then he did all this moon landing stuff, and you know, if you're going to talk about the moon landing as well, people get so black and white about it, like, oh, well, if Stanley Kubrick filmed it, then they never meant went to the moon. But I think going to the moon wasn't the tall order back then. I think taking very delicate analog film through thick radiation belts to the moon and back and trying to get them back to Earth would be the main problem. So I 100% believe we went to the moon, but they probably needed someone to fill in the gaps in the footage here and there, and why not get the best man for the job on the scene at the time who had just made 2001 and obviously knew what space looked Mm -hmm. like. So they get this guy. So if that is... That's the the narrative I'd entertain if I was going to entertain that. Stanley Kubrick made the... uh, did the moon landing stuff. But then you could say that People then say that The Shining is then his feelings about having to work for the government and a large frustration and resentment built up inside of him against his family and his wife because he was spending so much time working for the Mm -hmm. American government. So The Shining then becomes this all work and no No way he makes Jack a dull boy and he ends up wanting to kill everyone around him. The frustration's about it. Then he makes Full Metal... No, then he makes Barry Lyndon, which uses the lenses from the moon landing... Just, uh, you know, they made lenses because when you're on the moon, light's different and um, you need, there's not, hang on, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> somewhere, <clears throat> my friend Harry Barden's going to kill me for messing this up, but I think lenses need to be made with a really low aperture of like 0.7, which means they let more light in because there's less light on the moon. So they made these lenses to take to the moon. And then Kubrick wanted to make this film that was set back in medieval times when there was no electricity, so he wanted to film with only candlelight, which, as you know, when we film in here, there's rarely enough light, and we can't get it looking bright. So to film with just candles is a really fucking tall order. That is. So he ended up using the lenses from the moon landing in that film. So there is a genuine connection between Kubrick and the moon landing just there, mm-hmm. that he did use those lenses. So then Barry Lyndon is about, again, the class system. Like the up, It's about a lower-class boy uh, fraternising with a higher-class woman and the story of him and <clears throat> how silly and antiquated a lot of the traditions that the upper class hold. 
Then he makes Full Metal Jacket, which is about how the fucking army system, if you're not like built for it, completely turns you into a savage killer. And then he makes Eyes Wide Shut. And dies before it's finished. And there's like a 15-year gap between Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut. 15-year gap? I think Full Metal Jacket was... It's not 15, it's like 11 years. I think Full Metal Jacket was 88 and Eyes Wide Shut was 99. That's a long time. It's a crazy career. He must have, he must have done it a lot throughout the, like, them years. Either that or he thought about it. Done what, sorry? This film. Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, he was writing it for a long time. Before he wanted to... To put it all together, so it really is the core. Is it really a fucking heart attack? Well, he was like an 80 year old man, so I'd like to stick with with Kubrick. His films say enough for me. He's like, it's amazing enough what he achieved without all this like extra crazy stuff on top of it. Imagine now if Kubrick was still alive now. I don't know. Well, well, that's why... Films would be crazy. Yeah, Artificial Intelligence is a really interesting film because it's obviously... He wrote it before this, but it was made two years after this by Steven Spielberg, but it was written by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. So it's a really interesting film. I can't can't wait to watch it. It's like the next one. Um, But yeah, you could... There's so many angles to talk about in this film, but I think... My point is with it is you can demystify a lot of it. It's not like that crazy conspiracy film. It's just mm-hmm. a really good film about like human connection, yeah, and the nature of uh, emotion and what it can make humans do and act in crazy ways. Such ah, oh. but she just uh, started that, and I just couldn't. He was trying his hardest to be like. Rational. Yeah, you're a beautiful woman. I don't need to cheat on you. But she's just there like, oh, so you you think I'm a good woman because I don't cheat on you? Nah, let me tell you this. And I'm like, oh, just leave. She tries to get all philosophical. You know what I mean? But there's obviously, it's because she has that. Turning everything he says against him. Well, she has that burning desire for... uh, something else inside of her mm-hmm. and that probably initially brings up feelings of guilt but then there's also the desire part of it she does want it on some level so probably very complicated in the way that it comes out yeah she's trying to like be a bitch but she's also trying to be like she wants him to love her and want her like more than anything because she's like angry he's not jealous that she was with the Hungarian man that's how it all kicks off mm-hmm. yeah but um, you, so I it, feel like it's it comes out of an insecurity. Yeah. She's insecure about the fact that she wasn't jealous because she probably was jealous about seeing him with the two women. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he's like cool and confident about it, which is why they get onto the whole conversation about whether when Bill is checking women's breasts for cancer, whether they're thinking about him in a sexual way, which is a crazy conversation. And he points that out. He's like, in this <sighs> hypothetical doctor's office, like, it's a crazy narrative to even be spinning. But that's where fucking, that's where love and emotion and all those, it does, it, it warps the nature of reality, doesn't it? Do you think she, do you think she 
actually meant it or was it just to get him jealous? Well, that's what I'm saying, that it... She could have meant that out of love. Because you understand what I'm saying? Like, she wants to make... She wants to make him want her more than anything else in the world. And in her head, by saying that... It's going to make it happen. She's going to bring it up to him. Like, make him aware that... She can... You, you, she says, you men think that it's all domestic, uh, the domestic life for us women, but if only you knew what we were thinking about behind closed doors. And that's where the door opens up to this craziness, but it's, it's like Pandora's box when you open that door. Do you want to... She just went full-on crazy. And she obviously wants reason. to go down... Well, it's her own madness. Mm -hmm. Because she might have that crazy conversation and then go to bed. Tom Cruise, his character, might not go crazy like that in the way that he expresses that emotion, but he does have that crazy desire mm -hmm. because of what happens in the yeah. film, in the streets. So it's just the way that different, the genders and different people, especially in this day and it, like, it's becoming more about just people and emotion, how different, how emotion is displayed. Tom Cruise could have probably, his character could have not done all of that, just... What does he say at the end of the film? I'll tell you everything. Mm -hmm. Well, he should have just told her everything regarding how he felt at the beginning of that conversation. Yeah. But because he's like the man and it's more traditional... And he sort of like, yeah, talk, pushed it down. Yeah, pushed it down. Yeah. But then he acts, he's still acting on that emotion by doing all this crazy stuff that ends up happening in the film. So although Nicole Kidman's way of expressing that emotion seemed more explosive in the moment and Tom Cruise's character looked more controlled and restrained look what he caused mm -hmm. by being like that and restrained so I guess you just question, gotta talk about it yeah the question is is it right to be explosively emotional in the moment or is it right to bottle it down and let things spiral out of control. That's the kind of the path that Eyes Wide Shut gives you, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's a spec like that's their hostile mindsets on their own. But this film's about two people together trying to work emotions. Yeah. I thought she to be honest, it, I probably had a thought in my head that last line that she was like, there's also one thing that we need to do. Like, because it just felt like it was going towards that way. Mm. And it just felt like she was going to be like, is get a divorce. <laughs> and then the film carries on for another two hours. No, no, no. That, <laughs> no, then it just ends. And I, I'll be like, what the fuck? No, because they still love each other. After I all, like, know. Yeah, that's I the know. crazy thing. Like, it, that's love. love is mad. It, it's just crazy because it's like, she says, she even says, Obviously, when they're talking about the dreams and stuff, she's so mad. She's like, well, dreams aren't real. Sort of like digging into him saying, well, I dreamt this. You actually did it. He says, yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah, that is another. That's why they start talking about the nature. That's why he then says, 
she says that reality is never really reality and then he replies with and a dream is never really just a dream yeah. so that's them yeah. like answering that that's them saying basically that I'm okay with what you did and you're okay with what I thought but obviously in my head I was like okay they're not okay so this is like this is it but then it was like but the implication yeah. is then probably after that scene after that scene and then I was like okay no they're answering each other's they would fuck yeah like, just think, we've been talking now for nearly an hour, and we're going to wrap it up, because I think this is a great, this conversation has been a great example of how explosive this film is. <sighs> because there is so much more to it. Like, we, we... Wild. I'll be taking you... Well, maybe maybe Joe will take you home, we'll see. But uh, if I'm taking you home, I know we'll just be talking about this I film know, and for the, the whole time. Yeah, because it, it is... So wild. Super wild. I remember seeing it for the first time and not knowing anything about it, and... I had pretty much the same response as you. I was like, that's one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah, like, I just kept... The scenes that just kept going on and on, and then throughout, like, after the whole incident with Bill and he gets in the house, that whole... Every time he was in a different room, that piano just kept playing yeah. in different notes. Just like, it's... The tension. Yeah, the tension I that was on. It. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh, what is going on here? There's so much shit going you feel on. The tension in the air right now. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Let's wrap this up. So that's Eyes Wide Shut. I highly recommend giving it Highly a recommend. If you haven't yet. I so, might even give it a rewatch. And that is rare for Martin Devoe. Very rare. I never, never want to a film twice but mm. this one is gonna be redone I'll take that to the bank man you mm. know I'm happy with that so um, yeah this is episode 9 here at MIP we're gonna keep cracking on just follow us on all the social stuff I promise you there's, there's good stuff coming man it's coming Martin will tell you it's coming we got some great ideas on the way nothing too specific just but nothing solid yeah. But it's fine. But it's coming. It's coming. Mm. We'll see you on episode 10. Episode 10. What are we going to do? Let's give them a... It will be something that will be shown to us in a visual format and it will be filmed using cameras. Safe. <laughs> Safe. Safe. <laughs>